0: Hello, creatives. I'm Joanna Penn, and this is episode number 637 of the podcast, and it is Monday, the 25th of July, 2022, as I record this. In today's in-between episode, I talk to Roni Levy about blockchain, copyright and intellectual property management. And we talk about how the architecture of blockchain could transform copyright and IP for creators in the coming years. Roni explains what blockchain technology is and how it will change business models for creatives. We also talk about smart contracts related to book sales, how to solve the attribution problem for copyright, the differences between Web 1, Web 2 and Web 3, and we also talk about how long it might take for the publishing industry to adopt these new technologies or whether new companies will start businesses first. So today's show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. If you support the show with just a couple of dollars or any other currency, you get access to the patron-only Q&A where I answer your questions on writing, publishing, business and any of the futurist stuff. You can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. And thank you so much to my existing patrons. And uh, without you, I probably wouldn't be doing all of these in between episodes. Today's show is also sponsored by the friendly team at Written Word Media. Written Word Media knows that marketing your book can be one of the most challenging parts of being an author. That's why they make marketing easy by providing quick, easy and effective ways to promote your books. Written Word is best known for their email promotion sites, Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy and Red Feather Romance. They have five promotion sites in total that send daily newsletters to a combined audience of over one million readers. They even have a site that helps you promote your audiobooks called Audio Thicket. When you purchase a promotion with written word media, your book is sent to thousands of readers who love and read books in your specific genre. As the email hits, inboxes, you'll see a flurry of sales or downloads of your title. Email promotions are priced based on how many readers are in the genre and range from $25 to $500. The founders at Written Word Media are big believers in the power of innovation. Their newest product, Reader Reach Ads, allows authors to schedule a five-day Facebook ad campaign using vetted audiences and personalized creative in as little as five minutes. No more creating ads or struggling over-targeting. Written Word Media handles it all. Schedule your promotions today at writtenwordmedia.com or send them an email at info at writtenwordmedia.com to ask for recommendations on which promotion will best meet your goals. You can also sign up for their free email newsletter to get book marketing tips and news from the world of self-publishing. Check them out at writtenwordmedia.com. And just on a personal note, I use Free Booksy and Bargain Booksy in particular, paired with their Facebook ads every few months, and they are consistently well worth the money. Plus, it's easy to use and keeps my book sales humming along. Right, let's get into the interview with Roni. Roni Levy is the CEO of Access Copyright, a collective that distributes licensing royalties to creator and publisher affiliates. She also leads Prescient, Access Copyright's creator-focused innovation lab, dedicated to exploring the future of rights management and content monetization through blockchain and other technologies. So welcome, Roni. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you today. So first up, tell us a bit more about your career. How did you become interested in aspects of IP and copyright?
1: Well, actually, one of my first jobs when I became a lawyer was to work for the Canadian federal government on copyright policy way back, I guess, the early days of Web1 when we were talking about the internet as the information superhighway. So that's when I started uh, to get interested about copyright, the impact that it has on the creative sector and how technology interacts with those
0: copyright concepts. Mm, That's right. So you're actually a copyright lawyer. I am a copyright lawyer. Yeah, I I think that and that's such a good basis of what we're going to get into. So let's get into blockchain then. So what is blockchain technology? Because I mean, a lot of creatives find the technical stuff difficult. So how do you explain what is blockchain? So I, I think
1: many people refer to blockchain technology as a distributed, open, public database. And I find that that's Too amorphous, and it's hard for people to wrap their head around. Blockchain technology and blockchain network is essentially kind of that new infrastructure that is being built for Web3. And what it does is that it tracks all transactional data, and data is everything. So whether I'm buying something, whether I'm liking something, whether I'm creating something, whether I'm owning something, all of that is data. And this massive A database of transactional data, so not just the data pure, but what happens to the data and how people are interacting with the data, is stored in a network that is protected by cryptography and incentive in in order to ensure that nobody tampers with that data. That data is, depending on the blockchain, but what's really interesting is the public blockchain, that data is public for everyone to see and build upon.
0: You said infrastructure for Web3, and this is what I say to people is, you know, you don't need to know how the internet works. You don't need to know HTTP protocol, whatever, in order to publish a book on Amazon or use PayPal to get money, right? So I feel like the, uh, and obviously we know a bit more about the technology, but for creative people, they don't need to know how blockchain works in order to make use of it, I guess. You're right. They don't need to know how blockchain works.
1: But what they do need to appreciate is how the concepts that blockchain that allow are different from what we're used to under Web2. The concept of ownership, the concept of programmability, just the idea of tokens. What are they and what can we do with them? That's something that's worth spending time understanding because that's what kind of opens the imagination to all that might be possible in terms of new ways of interacting with your audience,
0: with your fans, and of monetizing your works. Absolutely. Right. We're going to touch on all those things. So tell us a bit more about how you got into blockchain, because you've actually been doing this a long time. And I saw you speak at Frankfurt Book Fair, I want to say four or five years ago now. And I think I was one of the, like one of three people in the audience because the publishing (laughs) industry was just not interested. But tell us, how did you get into this and what have you been doing in this space?
1: So first, I'm happy to report that when I do talks today, I could easily get hundreds of people on my webinars. So I think there has been an evolution (laughs) in the interests of publishers, of authors, of visual artists, of the whole creative sector. As you mentioned in the introduction to who I am, I, I run a copyright management organization. And we operate in the traditionally printed world. So textbook, trade books, newspapers, journals, we represent the creators, the writers, the visual artists, and the publishers of those works. And the who we are, the kind of the why we exist, what's in our DNA is ensuring that creators get paid when their works are used. And obviously, as we've gone through the ages with the changes in digitization it's becoming more and more and more difficult for creators to get paid. Piracy is rampant. Monetization happens by people other than the rightful owner. Platforms are extracting the value. Uh, And so all of these things have been present and at the forefront of our consideration as we look to the future of rights management. And about um, Ten years ago now, and back, and like no, maybe eight years ago, we started asking ourselves like, where are these new technologies going to take us? What are the future of rights management per se? Because that's what we are experts in as a copyright management organization, managing transactions around creative content, and blockchain kept coming up as this technology that was going to. Change the way we interact with content. It was finally going to be able to give creators the ability to control their works and to monetize their works in a way that was not possible or that was broken, if you'd like, through Web 2. And at the time when we started working on this, we weren't talking about Web 1, Web 2, Web 3. That's kind of lingo that although not completely new, it's, it's more talked about today than it was when we started looking at this. So, having been, as I mentioned, around when we were talking about the internet, what is Web One today as the information superhighway, and looked and examined the kind of the promises that the internet were going to be, uh, were making about how creators, even back then, were going to be able to monetize their work better with the internet, and also realizing that that didn't actually materialize that way, I kept asking myself and my team kept asking ourselves, is it really going to play out that way? Or are we going to see more of the same as what we saw with Web2 in terms of the harm that it could potentially cause to creators? And so at one point, we decided that, um, you know, I attended conferences, I learned a lot about the technology, looked at projects in the creative space. And that was really not enough to help us answer that question. And so we decided to just do a proof of concept. Let's just come up with an idea that today's tech is not able to do, but like the promises of blockchain seem to make possible. Let's see if we could like do a proof of concept, build it very quickly and just learn for it. It was really just a learning exercise. And this is back in 2016. And the idea that we came up with was the fan to fan sale of an ebook. So P2P sharing, Uh, which was happening in Web2, P2P sharing almost took down the music industry. And let's flip that on its head now. Now with blockchain, can we do P2P selling, fan-to-fan selling? And in our use case, the way it worked is that I'm reading a book, and, Joanna, I know, I've known you for a long time and I know what you like. And so I know that my recommendation of this book to you is going to generate a sale. So I recommend this book to you. I, in fact, send you the ebook and you start reading the ebook. And the creator or the publisher has predetermined how much of the ebook you could read without having to trigger a payment. Let's say it's two chapters. So you read the first two chapters, your hook, it was a great recommendation. And now you want to continue reading. And so to unlock the rest of the work, you have to pay. And the payment triggers a smart contract, which we could talk about in terms of what that is. And that smart contract automatically redistributes the payment or the royalties, X amount to the creator, Y to the publishers, Z to the jacket cover artist. And in the case of Uh, the use case that we were building a proof of concept was a percentage of the sale was also going to go back to me because I influenced the sale kind of like a reward to the fan that stimulated the sale. So we decided to build it up. We started working with some Solidity developers, and that's the language that is used on the Ethereum blockchain. And we built out the smart contract and we went through the whole workflow. How would a service like this was going to work? It was a proof of concept. So it didn't have a very pretty interface. It was now held together by the software equivalent of duct tape. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you could see the triggering of the smart contract. You could see the asset, the digital asset being opened up and the movement of the payment into the different wallets. And for me, that was the moment where I, I was sold on the technology. I like, totally get it. This is, now I understand why people are so excited about blockchain. Uh, this is going to revolutionize how we interact online, how we transact online, and it's going to have a really dramatic impact on the creative sector in particular. Mm. But what also kind of gave me a lot of concern was that as we were working through this use case about a fan to fan sale of an ebook? So essentially, an ebook being attached to a smart contract and then being monetized in a distributed ecosystem. Kept asking ourselves, who's going to make sure that the person who's attaching that ebook to that smart contract and has connected this wallet where all the money is going to go is in fact entitled, has the rights to do so, and is the right person to receive the royalty payments, who's going to make sure of that out of the gate? Because Mm. if we are not sure that it is the right person uh, that is entitled, that has the right to attach this creative work to the smart contract that is now going to get monetized in this distributed ecosystem, in this Web3 world, then we're just going to make what happened with Web2 even worse with Web2, with Web3. And so we looked around the creative projects that were taking place back then in in 2017, and we saw the same thing over and over again. And that is what we see in Web2, which is that the service just assumes, blindly trusts that the person who's uploading a work to the smart contract, connecting the work to the smart contract, and ticks the I own the copyright box is in fact the rightful owner. And we know that that's not enough. And surely that was not going to be enough and is not going to be enough in Web 3. And in fact, it's going to make it, it's even worse in Web 3 than in Web 2 because of two things. Web 3 is all about ownership, right? Whereas Web 2, one of the biggest challenges of Web 2 is how to monetize interactions online in Web 2. And the solution uh, that was found was advertising, right? Mm. So that is, if you like, the primary monetization model for Web2. Now, Web3, it's not about advertising. Web3 is about exchanging value, actual payment, because now we could track interactions, right? And we could incentivize interactions with tokens that can now be exchanged for real-world value. And in that context, the sense that we were having at Access Copyright and Prescient was that This is going to increase the incentives for bad actors. Mm. And not only that, we're in a distributed environment. So how do you find that neck to choke that you're now going to sue to take this down? How do you stop that smart contract from continuing to circulate once it's been out there? How difficult is it going to be for for creators and for rights holders to now deal with uh, bad actors and piracy? and that's where we decided that as an organization that is focused on ensuring that creators get paid when their works are used that that's what we needed to solve for and that we should look to blockchain technology in order to help solve the attribution problem this is what we called it the attribution problem out of the gate and that we we and this is probably when you saw me in frankfurt started going out there and talking to creators and publishers and in you know, all different areas of creative endeavors to like, hey, guys, there's this thing called blockchain coming down that is going to redefine our interactions. And as a creative sector, we better be architects of this new infrastructure, or we may be harmed by it instead of enabled by it.
0: Oh, I I love that. We better be architects. I'm always saying we have to be involved in these discussions. Otherwise, the tech bros are going to design it all for us. And so I love that you're involved. And that's why I wanted to make it clear that you understand copyright, you understand the law, and you're coming at it this way. So we're going to come back on a number of different things. But let's first, because I know it's really interesting about this attribution problem. And of course, anyone can upload a book to Amazon as well or and they do some checks against um, whatever they check and they ask us for proof of copyright. But how, how are you going about solving that attribution problem? What are the things in process? Okay, so in order to solve the attribution problem, we believe that three things need to be
1: immutably connected. And the connection between these three, three, three things needs to be open and transparent for everybody to see because this is the only way that we can actually uh, fix the stuff that is not connected properly, right? Mm-hmm. And those three things is a, a digital representation of the creative work, It's digital, digital representation. So if you'd like a, like a fingerprint of the creative work needs to be c- connected with metadata about the work And the rightful owner, like the person who's able to say yes or no to a use so that we're able to now, we know what the work is. So as computers talk to other computers, they are able to exchange digital files and say, okay, I know what the work is. And I I, I know this file, this digital asset is the same as this digital asset. And I know what it is because I've got metadata and I know who to contact in order to verify whether this use has been authorized or not, right? So these three things need to be connected. And there's different technologies in order to connect these three things. And so we, as a few years ago, as I was out there trying to get people interested, wanting to work with us to solve this attribution problem, we also realized that we probably needed to like start building this, start trying to solve for this, and maybe even services that use this connection, This uh, uh, what we were calling at the time the attribution ledger. Now I'm more of calling it more the, an attribution protocol. So a service that uses this attribution protocol in order to generate value for the creators of the works. And so In fact, just at the end of March of this year, we launched the first service that uses the attribution protocol under the hood. And that is, uh, it's called Imprimo. And if anybody wants to check it out, it's Imprimo.ca, I-M-P-R-I-M-O.ca. And what it is, is that it looks like a Web2 service. And in many, many ways, it's a Web2 service, but it's got like Web3 technologies under the hood. And that was really key to us and when we build it out because we wanted it to be accessible to everybody, right? Right now, if you're trying to use pure Web3 services, like a lot, it's like, it's complicated. If you try to buy an NFT and you need to get cryptocurrency and you need a certain crypto wallet, etc. There's like hours of learning that you need to do before you could interact with the service. And we wanted people to be able to interact immediately with the service. So it's a, it looks like a Web 2 service, but it's got Web 3 uh, under the hood. It is a LinkedIn for visual artists. So uh, this is a service that we decided we were going to build with visual artists. We collaborated, we partnered with um, visual artists associations in Canada, so CARFAC and LAV uh, and CVA. And uh, we did hundreds of design interviews to find out like, what is the challenge that visual artists are having? How can we offer a service that solves some of their challenges and also gets them ready for web three. And so it was about building an audience, presenting their journey as an artist and their portfolio of works. And this was like a perfect problem to solve because in presenting their artwork, then we can also start connecting the claims that the artists have to a given artwork, the metadata about the artwork, and the fingerprint of the artwork, and connecting those together and registering them on the blockchain, while also providing them with this ability to present their journey in a a very exciting, very aesthetically pleasing uh, digital destination for visual art.
0: I, and I love that you said it's Web3 under the hood. And going back to this idea of infrastructure, I mean, some people are calling this Web 2.5, which is it looks like yeah. a smartphone app. It looks like a website, but it uses blockchain and you wouldn't even know. And I kind of feel like that's the way, that's probably what's going to happen. It's not like we're going to go from one day we all use Web2 and the next day we use Web3. It's going to be these applications that bridge the gap and you don't even know, need to know. Like my husband did a, recently did a course and at in London, the university in, and his certificate for his course was an NFT. And when he, yeah, when he went and he didn't even really know about it, it just got assigned to him. And then he linked like you mentioned LinkedIn, it's actually on his LinkedIn profile. And the little thing says, access the digital record and it's, it's on chain. So This is a really brilliant thing. So for people listening, for authors, the idea in the future is that we will register ourselves as a creator on whatever chain, and we will register our book on chain, and we will be connected to that. That's basically what you're saying, isn't it? For authors.
1: That's right. That's right. And I love the example of the LSE. First of all, I did my master's degree at the LSE, so that's really nice. (laughs) great to see that they are at the forefront of using new technologies, And I think that what your husband probably got is a verified credential. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And and that that is, if you like, uh, I said, there's lots of different technologies that come into play. Verified credentials sometimes use blockchain, sometimes they don't. But this whole concept of verified credentials and self-sovereign identity, which seems like, you know, it's hard. It's another one that's kind of hard to wrap your head around. But I think that is another element that is going to be transformative. And when we see the verified credentials and SSI, self-sovereign identity, really taking hold, uh, that's when we're going to see like that mass adoption into Web3. I think that's going to be one of those, you know, the on-ramp for a lot of people onto Web3 is going to be these verified credentials and self-sovereign identity. And it's already happening, right? A lot of people are saying Web3, well, that's the future. It's actually here already, Um And it's being used. And what's great is that you've got these established players now playing around with this new technologies and thinking differently about how they're going to share the information about who got uh, degrees from their institutions in a way that everybody can trust and and know. And that is also something that's really important, privacy preserving, so that your husband probably has the choice to put it on his LinkedIn net Word or not the verified credential, so that he could selectively declare to people, potential employers, or other institutions where he got his degree, and that's going to be really, really important. And an important promise of Web three, and that is that we're going to be able to take back control of our data, mm. uh, of our activities online, but also offline. We'll be able to be uh, there. Will be more privacy preserving systems that are going to be used into the future. And I think that's really important.
0: Mm, Right. So just coming back to some of the principles you talked about, and also just sort of focusing down on the listeners. So in the future, we have now registered our copyright, we know that this book belongs to us. So now we want to sell it. And you've mentioned ownership, you've mentioned digital assets. But I, but also you've mentioned ebook, and I feel this is a real issue because at the moment, people are in inverted commas buying an ebook, say on Kindle, but they're not actually buying the ebook. They don't own the ebook. They are essentially licensing some content to read on a device. But if their account gets deleted, that is deleted, and so there, there is no ownership at the moment of ebooks and no resale and as you say no percentage that goes back to anyone else so how is this ownership and how is a digital asset different in this web 3 world and how can we communicate that to people who think they already own digital content (laughs) yeah and I think this is probably the
1: area of how Blockchain technology and how people have started using blockchain technology is so exciting, particularly for the creative sector, but not just for the creative sector. And this is this whole area of tokenization that people talk about when they talk about Web3, when they talk about blockchain, and when they talk about monetizing creative works. And that's another one where it's hard to kind of wrap your head about what is a token, how is it different, and why is it so special? When people talk about the difference between Web 1, Web 2, Web 3, what they say is that Web 1 was reading. Depending on your age, you may remember Web 1. I remember Web 1 very, very well. And that is, we used to call it brochureware. That's all that was online, right? You would see companies brochure, like you could just read. Not that that was not amazing. It was amazing at the time, but that's all it really was. Web 2 is like that social web. And that's when we had more of like a two-way sharing interactions where users could upload content as well. And that is the web that people refer to as read and write, right? That two-way interaction where users are also sharing in that whole social web. An explosion of innovation happened around web two. A lot more monetization also happened around web two. Now, web three The evolution from Web 2 to Web 3 is read, write, own, right? And that ownership element is where the monetization is going to take a different form. And that's where when we talk about tokens, what's so exciting about token is because when something is put in a token, we know who owns it. And now we can monetize it completely differently in that ecosystem than we were able to in the Web2 ecosystem, in the ecosystem that we mostly know today. And so that's like something that when we we started the conversation about not needing to understand blockchain, but needing to understand the concepts which really change our world, that's one of the important concepts, this concept of ownership. And the fact that we can own a digital asset as well, and notwithstanding that you could right click copy, it doesn't really diminish from the value of owning something unique that is in digital form, even though it can get reproduced again. And that's another one that takes a while to kind of get used to and get excited about. But once you do, once you see the light, you like you can't unsee it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's funny and I didn't really feel and they're saying this is happening a lot in gaming. So people who play a lot of games, they understand that you buy a weapon and that weapon is theirs within the game. So they've bought a digital asset that can help them or they buy some clothing for an avatar or and when we think about the future of Uh, a metaverse Um, I guess it's similar like the clothing of the avatar it's the same if I go into like I went today and I bought a dress like other women will buy that dress but the dress I have is my dress And, and I can resell that dress and I can make some money from that resale. I mean, in that situation, there isn't any money going back to the original creator because there's no smart contract. So let's get into that because when I learned about programmability and smart contracts, programmable money, I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So tell us a bit more about smart contracts and how they fit in. Okay. So maybe I'll start with just like one little kind of,
1: concepts/technology that is helpful in really making this explanation stick for people and that is in the blockchain ecosystem in a, like in a blockchain network what you've got is that you've got these tokens which are essentially a digital representation of an asset, something that has value, it could actually be just an interaction that you did online, but now we're going to, you know, that interaction has value. So we're going to put it in this digital envelope called a token. Okay. And the thing with this token, which is, which lives on the blockchain. So that's kind of the transaction is that this token is connected to a wallet. And the person who has the key to that wallet is the owner of that token and every time the token moves around and changes wallet it does so through smart contracts through these small software programs that say if x happens then y happens so if a wallet is going to if a token is going to change from one wallet to another wallet and there is an exchange of value such as a cryptocurrency is being exchanged then 10% of that exchange of value is going to go back to the First wallet that owned the token, which is the creator's wallet, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is why blockchain. When we talk about blockchain, it's distributed database, and it's like, yeah, yeah. So what? Who cares? It's because all of these movements and transactions are recorded for everybody to see in a way that you can trust because it's protected or or it's cryptographically kind of protected, and there are incentives as well on this blockchain network in order to make it impossible or at least very, very difficult to tamper with that information, that data about these
0: transactions and these movements of assets. Yeah, it's interesting. I I still think that, yeah, I think we need to sort of emphasize as well how much you can do with a smart contract because one of the things that stops authors collaborating is that it's so hard to do all of these royalty payments later on in the process. So if I want to if you and I write a book together, one of us will publish it or we'll get a publisher and then it has to the money eventually gets to us or one of us has to split it. Whereas with a smart contract, I mean you did mention this earlier but just to reiterate it, so there can be a percentage for the fan who's selling it, there can be a percentage goes back to the original creator or creators, and a percentage could go to a charity, for example. Or the other thing I was thinking about is after in, in terms of estate management, after my death or something, there's a clause in the contract that will redirect the payments to a different wallet or there's things that we'll be able to do with smart contracts that at the moment just have this massive human overhead in, in management. Absolutely.
1: Not just in management and in trusting as well that what people said would happen actually happens, right? Mm. Whereas in in what you've just described, which has a lot of similarity with that proof of concept that we did back in 2017, and we did it using smart contracts, right? Mm. It was instantaneous. That redistribution of the royalties was instantaneous. And that's what's so beautiful. And it happens between people that don't know each other. Right. And so, this is when people early in 2015, 2016, when I was learning about this technology, we would talk about the middleman disintermediation, the middleman is going to disappear. And this is what people were referring to. Right. Mm. In the case, in that use case that we build a proof of concept on, there was no retailer. Uh, The book circulated. The marketing of the book was being done by fan, by the audience. The redistribution didn't have an accounting office, right? All of the transactions were online. In fact, even your, your tax authority would be able to look in and see how much you actually have to pay in taxes, right? It is actually that
0: transparent. Well, actually, I really think we're going to get central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, as as they're called. And I think, like, why wouldn't they take the tax as part of that transaction? Why do they have to wait till later? I mean, if you're the government and you have central bank digital currencies, you could just take your cut as it passes through on chain. So this is why I think that this will go mainstream. I feel like at the moment, people think this is all to do with Bored Apes and crypto crashes and tech bros. But I think that this is going mainstream because of exactly what you said about it will get rid of back office. Like the banks are implementing blockchain because it gets rid of (laughs) a whole lot of back office stuff, right? So on the one hand, we've got decentralized stuff. But on the other hand, we've got a whole lot of centralized blockchains being built because the technology is so powerful. So how is this all going to shape out between sort of the ideal and what people are already doing? Yeah, I I think that referring to the banks adopting blockchain, and
1: they're doing this in uh, permissioned blockchain, right? And not to say that that's not valuable. Absolutely, it's valuable. There's efficiencies, time, saving in time, the data is more accurate, et cetera. Lots, lots, and lots of reasons to do that. I think the real transformation and explosion of innovation is going to be on the open, the public blockchain where the data is more open and transparent. And this is something that I think you you mentioned and made reference to. We talked about programmability, but another element which is super exciting and where we're going to see so much innovation is the fact that what these tokens allow and these smart contracts allow is composability. Mm. So things can sit on top of each other like I was trying to think of an example that would help people see the beauty in composability. So let's say we have a token that has, of course, embedded in it a smart contract that tracks the ownership of your creative work. Let's say you you've uh, your next book, you're actually only going to issue 100 books. So it's going to be one of 100, two of 100, et cetera. So you're going to issue non-fungible tokens for 100 books. But what you're going to do, and every time there's a transfer of ownership of that book, you're going to get 10%. But you're also going to allow that book to be composed into a lending library. Mm. Yeah. And so the token is circulating and someone could sell the token to the lending library and to something else. Now you could also limit where you want your tokens to go by code, but this is what's so exciting. And we see a lot of composability happening in distributed finance what people call defi and also in in like web3 gaming where you have play to earn structures as well you see people being able to use a token that was generated on one platform for one activity to be used in another service for something completely different so and in in it, uh, startups and, and businesses can do that without having to ask permission from the person that created the game, for example, to allow that token to now be used in another service as well. And that's the composability of what tokens and these open protocols allow.
0: Yeah, this is the thing. There's so many exciting possibilities. And yet you and I are in the publishing industry. And as I mentioned, I saw you speak four or five years ago. And even though you said there's more people turning up now, and I've, Spoken on blockchain as well, and obviously I've done shows on it. But my feeling is the publishing industry is mostly not interested. And so, where, how long do you think this is going to take? Basically, (laughs) like, and how can we help things along?
1: (laughs) You know, I think as is often the case with these new technologies, it is not the incumbents that adopt them first, and so we're going to see new kinds of publishers come on scene uh, that will use them. We're going to see a lot more kind of independent uh, artists, independent writers use the technology, right? There's a little bit less kind of risk and they don't have as much of a a box uh, in terms of how they do business that they have to stay in. So it's going to be easier for independent artists to use them. And when they're going to have proved the value, then I think we're going to see the larger publishers uh, join in. I think people are waiting for that killer app as well, right? And there is still a lot of friction if you're going to do something that is a purely crypto Web three service. Like I said, Imprimo was designed so that anybody can use it. So the Web three is really under the hood, which also means that the artists on Imprimo are not the custodians of their private public keys. We in Primo holds the custody of the private public keys because we felt that the adoption was not there yet; that the artists were not ready yet to have that responsibility of owning their private keys. But we'll get there, and once we get there, then we'll be able to no longer be the owners of the private public keys that the individual artists are given when they're joined in when they join in Primo. Mm. So it's a journey. But I believe the journey is going to happen far faster than it took for us to get from web one to web two. And it'll happen far faster than the time it took for my parents to use Uber, for
0: example. So, do you want to put a date on it? You want to go 25, 26, maybe? Or will it just be that, for example, people still read on an Amazon Kindle, but they're actually reading an NFT version yes. of an ebook? Yeah
1: right? The end user kind of interface is going to have to work with the existing end user interfaces. So whether it's it's a Kindle, for my case, it's a Kobo, or it's your phone, right? You're going to be using your smartphone. And already we're seeing some smartphones that are coming out that are enabled with these Web3 wallets, right? Mm. And so that's going to start to facilitate the adoption by people. The new business models the really revolutionary business models are going to take a little bit more time than that. Uh, but the fact that your husband got a verified credential from the LSC is very exciting to me. Yeah, it's us too. Exciting, we were like, oh my goodness, right? look at this. Right? So it's happening. So it's yeah. happening. A, a colleague was telling me that a friend of theirs bought I don't know, this high-end purse. I can't remember if it was Louis Vuitton or what who, What was the brand. But she was all excited to to show my colleague that it came with a card with the blockchain registration for the purse. Right? So it's happening. It's happening. Right now, in the existing kind of within the existing interactions, right, the way we interact has is not very, very different. But eventually, the interactions themselves are going to be different.
0: Yeah, exciting times ahead. So where can people find everything you do online? So, definitely
1: go to imprimo.ca. That's where I recommend everybody go check it out. First of all, it's a beautiful website. You're going to see some beautiful art. It's mostly Canadian art right now, but it's amazing. So, please go online, check out our artists, and check out the Web3 elements. So, take five, 10 minutes and dig a little bit look at the blockchain ID, look at the private public key uh, information and instructions to help people kind of understand what's really happening under the hood.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Rooney. That was great. It was lovely speaking with you. Thank you. So I hope you found the interview with Roni interesting and I expect to see many more applications of Web 2.5 in the coming years, where you think it's a Web 2 or mobile front end, but it's blockchain underlying it all. In fact, like the internet, it's an architecture thing that will enable so much more. And we just don't know yet all the things that are going to happen in the next decade or so. So exciting times indeed. And as ever, I will keep sharing. On Monday's show, I'm talking to Sasha Black about lessons learned from three years as a full-time author. And Sasha is a friend, so we have an honest, open conversation, which I know you'll enjoy. In the meantime, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at thecreativepen or find me on Facebook at thecreativepen. See you next time!